welcome to the A Space Podcast. I'm Nimbus, and we're sitting here with the One Eyed Gambler. Um, today on the podcast, we'll be finishing up our series on pursuit of perfection. You can follow us on all social media channels at A Space Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and keep a lookout because we may release a vlog soon on YouTube. So stay tuned. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can do so via the Cash App by donating to Money Sign A Space Podcast. That's Money Sign A Space Podcast. You can also catch us on streaming platforms around the globe. We're streaming the podcast. As I know of right now, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Castbox, Podbean, a lot of different stuff. We got we got we're growing rapidly, so it's pretty awesome. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the podcast and good luck. Okay, welcome to the podcast. This is number five, part two of the pursuit of perfection. Dude, I'm so glad that we have this podcasting platform. <laughs> I don't know about about anybody else out there that listens, but it's kind of rewarding because you can go back and you can listen to previous episodes and kind of play it over and over again. And get a new understanding and kind of fine tune. So after I went back and I listened to part one, there's a lot of things that I caught that in the moment in the conversation I didn't catch, which is I think one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast, Mm -hmm. which is why you can like you can go back and you can continue to consume the information. Like you can go back and you can continue to read the same book probably year after year because um, you want to get something new about it? Do you want to gain a new understanding? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. So what I what I think we got hung up on the first time is something I think I understand now. Okay, so you were saying that everybody has their own unique perfection, right? And something that keeps everybody from reaching their own unique piece of perfection in their life could be something that tries to conform everybody into one similar thought pattern. Am I correct? Sort of. So, um, like we have these schools of thought or these religions that we kind of uh, hail from or commit to. And instead of trying to figure out what our own path of personal perfection is we try to tailor it to that specific uh to that specific way of uh of that our life is trying to be ordered and values are trying to be instilled in us instead of exploring am i correct yeah sort of okay i mean more broadly because we're speaking about a broad application right we're Mm -hmm. not talking about definitely identifying every individual's unique modifier or catalyst for mm-hmm. perfection. What we're talking about is a, a objective principle that applies generically to everybody's life that their uniqueness grows into, sort of. And that generic thing that fits everybody is the one thing that 
we all have in common, which is humanity's ability to adapt and change. Our flexibility that allows us to function as an apex predator instead of a level two on the food chain, which is what we actually are when you look at us without taking our intellect into account. Um, that That is what makes humans humans. That's mm-hmm. what makes humans, or sorry, that's what makes humanity so unique as a, as a human species. Um, and and that's the key factor for people to take away from this is that your ability to change and adapt to what life throws at you is the thing that makes you perfect. It's not living up to some other level of standards. Even if that's what you choose to, to name as your higher power, to recognize as coming from a higher power for you, that's fine. But what makes you perfect in this world is your ability as a human to adapt, to survive and overcome and to change as needed. And that's as simple as it gets. Morality, ethics, um, good, evil is irrelevant to adaptability. As a human species, so you, that you comes secondary as a byproduct of society, right. um, which is evident by the various codes that human societies have formed around. Yet, inevitably, humans across the globe have formed societies, have come together, and have adapted to every environment that we've been exposed to in order to create a society at that level, whether it's. Uh, an isolated group of monks or an isolated group of of tribesmen on an island, even today that has no contact with the modern world, we still adapt and survive and overcome at at a species level. And if we can consciously embrace that idea, I think humanity will find a common denominator that can't be divided and cut up and turned into a political tool or a tribal tool for division so that a select group of people can become more powerful than another, or more influential. So one thing you were saying is that, like, <clears throat> um, we like to think that perfection is an endpoint, and it, it's right. really not, right? So right. It's a state of mind. It's a state of existence rather than mm-hmm. a $10,000 goal. Mm-hmm. So, because for the longest, and I probably still, I probably still believe in in the saying that like nobody's perfect, right? Right. So that's exactly what you're explaining. Right, but that's right? that's what the beauty of this concept <clears throat> is: yeah. is that you're embracing that imperfection, mm-hmm. that inability to be one thing every day, all the time. Is that you're embracing that? And going, that's not a flaw in the human characteristic. That's what makes us special. So you're saying that like everybody's a Basquiat painting, and like it may look like chaos, and it may look like you're not perfect, but that's the like Apollo. That's the beauty of that's the beauty of the Basquiat. No, I'm I'm talking about Basquiat. I like Apollo. Oh, okay. Well, I like Basquiat. He's awesome. But yeah, that's the point. Is that Mm -hmm. you can't. No matter how much you try, you can fit 97% of people into the average bell curve of, like, this is where you fall. 
And yet there's still going to be 3% of humanity that can't fit that curve. Ever. No matter how much environmental changes you make, no matter how many drugs you put them on, whatever. They're not going to fit into that lane. Mm -hmm. They're going to fit somewhere different. Because they're innately designed to embrace their adaptability. They're designed to stray from the everyday thing that everybody else does because it's inherently ingrained into people to be unique because creating a monoculture leads to the extinction of a species. Mm -hmm. No matter what species you're looking at, if they only adapt and survive in one way, shape, or form, they inevitably go extinct. Mm -hmm. Phytoplankton are a good example of the opposite of this. You can put phytoplankton almost anywhere and they will survive. Yeah. Now, granted, they aren't as vast and as as intellectual Complex. as humans. Yeah. Right. Yet, as a single-celled organism, they still manage to come together and create swaths visible from the air. Right. Like humans can readily identify them who are trained in marine biology and other things. You know, that's a stream of phytoplankton. Mm-hmm. And they're forming together and congregating because mm-hmm. that's what they know to do. Mm-hmm. Like humans are similar in that we have this adaptability that we go, this is what makes us unique and we're going to have to embrace this mm-hmm. because we just can't fit into this box. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you call it, whether you call those people the outcasts or the lone wolves or the bastards or the disowned, the disenfranchised, the people who just don't fit into the box. Okay. Right? Those are people who can't curtail their adaptability. Mm-hmm. They're so adaptable that they don't realize that they're too amenable, but they haven't learned to control it yet. The same way most people fit into the box haven't learned to embrace their adaptability, to embrace the, the, their ability to change and be unique and define themselves. Instead, they define themselves by the lanes and the dash marks that life and society puts out for them. And then go, I'm still me, but I just fit within the scope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. It's on two sides of the same coin. It's just we see it different ways because of our perspective. And, okay. uh, and we need to get out of that tribalistic perspective of I'm on the inside of the white lines and you're on the outside of the white lines and therefore you're no good or vice versa. You can't be a hyper unique individual and look at people inside the box and dismiss them as being uncreative or, in, or ignorant or uninformed or not intelligent enough to be themselves because that's not true. It's just about whether or not they're naturally more inclined towards adaptability or not. And a lot of that is environmentally factor-based, how you're brought up. Do you embrace uniqueness? Do you embrace change or creativity? Mm-hmm. Or are you brought up to just tactilely go through life and check boxes and achieve certain goals? And that's how you're inevitably going to look back in 50, 60 years and you're going to know your legacy. Mm-hmm. Is your legacy going to be defined by your rote success, or is it going to be defined by success you created for yourself? Right. And okay. that's a, and it's very much like the STEM versus the arts argument in education. It's very mm-hmm. much versus the doers versus the thinkers argument, right? This dichotomy goes back and forth across society, right? Because some people are inclined to embrace their adaptability, and other people are inclined to curtail it and make them so, and adapt themselves to fit in the box. And mm-hmm. that's fine. That's what makes a society dynamic. But we can't keep 
looking at each other and going, you're not perfect enough because you don't live up to this specific code. Mm. That's not helpful. That's tribalism that creates division and it creates animosity inevitably between people. Whether okay. it's one generation so or three. That, that's a good point right now where we're at because I'm agreeing with you probably, but I'm like 95% of what you're saying. I'm, I'm okay, agreeing. So I'm with is, you. So now I'm with like you on 50, the page. 50 yards ahead of where we I'm, were last week. I'm with you on the page. So let's take this to the next level. What do you mean? Right. This, 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 this thesis, this line of thinking, this, this thought, this idea. Are you, is this something that, uh, you, it's probably a way because I know we were talking about education last week and like how we can do it outside of academia. Are you mm-hmm. like, is this a way to propose a new alternative to people thinking about their journey through life to reord like to to help some people reset their mindset? Yeah, back on. Back Sig- on the I would say significantly so. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest problem right now in, in this thought experiment that we'll get to, hopefully this episode, if not, it'll just have to be an extended series. Yeah. Um, my problem with this, with this concept is making it, which I don't know if it's actually a problem or if it's just the inherent requirement of this thought experiment, right? Every thought experiment requires you to suspend a certain amount of understanding in your reality in order to engage in it. Mm-hmm. Right, like Rene Descartes' dualism has become fundamental principles for Western philosophy, like mind-body principle. Mm-hmm. You have the mind, you have the body, and once you have a harmony, you're at peace, whatever. But Rene Descartes' uh, evil deceiver experiment basically suspends all of his belief. He, he suspends all radical and religious thought, radical being uh, secular or real-world principle thought. And he thinks... From, from the very end of things, where he knows that he's a fully grown adult, and he has his five senses, and he has his understanding of the world, and he tries to reason and logic his way back to the beginning, and understand how he got to where he is, with the assumption that all five of his senses are being fooled into deceiving him, mm-hmm. into deceiving his perception, so that he can't ever look at something and go, that's just the way it's supposed to be. Like, yeah. He he doesn't want to give himself that that caveat that way out. I have no and idea he, who the hell you're talking about too. He, so yeah. he he's the <laughs> credited as being the father mm-hmm. of mind and body principle of dualism, mm-hmm. which inevitably led to the rest of Western philosophy. I believe mm-hmm. he was Italian philosopher. Anyways, he creates this thought experiment, and of course, to engage in this thought experiment with him when you mm-hmm. do his medita- when you read his med- what he calls his meditations. You have to go along with the concept, right? You have to suspend your understanding of your world. You have to suspend the concept that your five senses give you an accurate representation of the world, which today, by science, we know that they don't. But you still have to suspend your perceptions. Mm-hmm. And go, just because I perceive that this table is made of wood, or what I understand to be wood, does not mean it's made of wood. Yeah. Right? And he's like, he's thinking through all this. Why do I think that this table is actually wood? Why can't it be what an imagination, right? Why can't the the way this feels feel like wood, but it's entirely something different, right? This is what he's thinking about back in like the, in the 1200s. 
Because it was born wood. And if it was plastic... But who says wood is wood? It would look like plastic. But who says wood is wood and who says plastic is plastic? That's the point of the thought experiment, right? You're suspending uh-huh. a significant... You're taking a huge caveat to engage in it to understand how logic works in the human mind. Okay. Or at least he was. For us, it's a little easier to understand I mean, nowadays. Yeah, who because, said that 1 through 10 was 1 through 10? Why couldn't right. it just be 1 through 20? Right, which Why is something we'll get into in the thought experiment later on, which is a caveat I use in that to help people understand it. Because, mm-hmm. and again, getting back to the problem, I find that people can't, oftentimes certain people, certain kinds of people cannot engage this thought experiment. Usually because they're too set. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not the super creative people that can't understand it. Like the artsy people, the people who engage in creativity on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. It's the people who engage in for lack of a better term, STEM fields or logic or science-based fields or lawyers, right? Um, They embrace the set, rote memorization of the rules of the world so much they can't, even in this thought experiment, they fall behind because they can't suspend their belief. They can't take the caveat with the grain of salt they have to in order to engage in the thought process. Right. And again, it might just be that that's the caveat people have to learn to take. And you can't walk them through it. They have to take that leap of faith. That might be what it is. Or it could be that I'm not communicating it in a clear enough way. Or in a way that works for them and their perspective. Yeah. Which is possible because I'm a much more creative. Although I'm a very logically driven person. I also have a lot of experience in creative fields. Writing, using my imagination, and suspending my own belief systems. And, and in my studies of other cultures... And things like that, and other and multiple religions. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more practiced in suspending my own perceptions than most people are, and so that might be why it's easier for me to, to use this thought experiment. Anyways, given all that said, should we just jump into the thought experiment? I mean, yeah, I just want to make I just want to make one point. I just yeah. think. I just think a lot of people are not just used to suspending their beliefs just to do right. something because, I mean, I feel like you're constantly being programmed to like want to like conform to a specific thing. Right. And not only that, like the world around you is constantly wanting to make you a marketing tool for something. So like, whereas we come to like even the clothes we wear, like you don't even know about it, but you you're a walking billboard like. You're wearing a Nike shirt that has a Nike check mark on it. You're telling everybody, I support Nike or buy Nike. Like, that's what you're telling everybody. Right. So I feel like you're programmed to kind of when you walk around and like, yeah, man, guess what I have for breakfast? You know what? Chick-fil-A sandwich, <laughs> man. That Chick-fil-A sandwich is so good. Like, mm-hmm. you should go to Chick-fil-A and buy that sandwich. I really think you should buy that sandwich. Like, we're a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. So then you take that even a step further. If you condition the mind to be a marketing tool, then you also condition the mind to like to express certain beliefs and try to try to put people in these different belief systems and these different ways of thinking because we want to find somebody that's like you or that shares the same beliefs as you. So I don't think we have a lot of experience with just like disconnecting ourselves from what we believe to be true and try to do an experiment to see if Right. something else opens our eyes. I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly in higher education in and of mm-hmm. itself, in undergrad, unless you specifically take a philosophy course, yeah. you really don't spend a lot of time suspending your own belief system Dude, which is to why learn. 
I don't know why they don't make like front. And this is one thing that if we like ever just do, intro to philosophy alone would be but no, no, no. If we ever do a program, dude, mm-hmm. I don't know why from ages from kindergarten to eighth grade, why they don't focus heavily on just having a course in critical thinking. Like, that is so important, and I feel like foundationally, if you build on that for nine years, that that would be such a good skill to have, because, I mean, that's basically mm-hmm. what we're Well, they did to. used to. We talked about mm-hmm. this before. Just in our time coming up in K-12, we had an EOCs, and then we had EOGs, which are end of course and end of grade test. Mm, okay, I know and, what you're about to say. Yeah. We've had this conversation before where mm-hmm. we grew up and our teachers throughout the year used to tell us you have to do the critical thinking mm-hmm. parts of the end of every section in the textbook. And it wasn't that there was a right or wrong answer. You'd write a paragraph and they would grade that paragraph as to whether or not you actually... And the grading on it was subjective based on the teacher's understanding and that teacher was assumed to be a respectable source of that material, right? So your history teacher would go, is this analysis actually relatively, for your grade level, relatively on par with your with what you should be taking away from this from this section. And that yeah, and then you, on the in the grade test or on the NEOCs, you'd have questions like, what is the author's perspective? And you'd have basically this those old questions, you'd have five answers and three of them would be relatively right and two of them would be blatantly wrong. Yeah. And so if you if was less so much of a pass or fail thing and more of a we need you to be able to critically yeah. dig in yeah. and draw your own conclusions as a reader as to what you think the author's trying to say. And now, by the time you and I got to high school, it was optional. And by the time we were done with in EOCs and EOGs in our senior year, junior year, it wasn't even on the test to begin with. And so teachers didn't bother making us do it at the end of the at the end of our textbook sections, they said, "Well, right. I literally remember teachers telling me it's not going to be on the test. Don't worry about it." Mm-hmm. And now we have another ten years after us that's been raised and taught that way by teachers. Mm-hmm. So you have ten years worth of workforce coming out. Fifty percent went went straight into the workforce, and another fifty percent went into college without cultivating the ability to critically think in middle school and beyond. Maybe they got it in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Maybe they got it if they went to a magnet school. But by and large, most people go to public school and because it wasn't a part of the standardized test, teachers weren't required to teach it and most teachers would not have focused on it. Right. And that's why kids can't critically think. I mean, this is a huge problem in upper education. Professors have to slow down their programs, have to slow down their education, your degree doesn't mean as much by the time you get to by the time your your grade group it's gets a to problem. the cream of the crop. It's a problem with free thought. You, you right. need critical thinking spaces. You need people to be able to engage independently. With free thought, like yeah. with just like raw, yeah, if you have twenty five students in a room, you yeah. have to those twenty five students have to engage critically so that four of them. Mm-hmm. at best, reach the correct conclusion. Mm-hmm. Ten of them reach a semi-correct conclusion, and then the rest are somehow wrong, flagrantly, and they don't realize it. But because 14 out of those 25 are right or somewhat correct, they can collectively explain and present why mm-hmm. and show the logical path through the thought process of a writer. Right. 
that you don't get to be able to do that overnight just because you graduate high school and you get a rubber stamp diploma. Right. You don't get a rubber stamp brain that says, okay, this is your critical thinking brain. Whenever you come across a difficult problem in life, press this button and it'll give you an easy answer. And I have to give somebody credit. Shout out to, um, if you're what if you're listening to this and you went to Rogers, her, mm. um, man, shout out to Mrs. Ziegler. Like his way of teaching when I went to seventh grade was such a shock to the system of standardized education that any student who had his course hated it, then loved it, then craved it from then on. And and all of my education, and all of my education, I never found a teacher that was quite like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Miss T and Jordan came a little close. Yeah, Riley comes a little close. Riley came pretty close. I had a teacher uh, like that in Elementary. I mean, creative writing course, Mr. Albright. Albright, yeah. Albright was really good at teasing that out of kids. Mm -hmm. But he had a creative course to do it, and it right. wasn't like you're exactly. in a English three class. And that's class what I'm saying. We have to create have the to, spaces, right? That's and that's what—that's what, the argument from the side of mm-hmm. the arts and schools every yeah. year at the budget meeting. You need, and science has already proven this yeah. in the last twenty years. You can't just have STEM field focus. You need mm-hmm. creativity. You need a, a creative outlet, and even in for people who are going to be engineers or doctors, they need a creative outlet. Yeah. For one, a stress relief, and two loosening up the other part of their brain and that creates a creative dialogue across their neurons and they go they take a step out of their out of their lane like we were saying in the pursuit of perfection they take a set they take a a small step out of their box that they live in and they venture onto the creative side of people who don't fit into that box and go i'm gonna not be a doctor or a lawyer tonight i'm just gonna be me yeah and then all of a sudden they have a breakthrough Right, they realize mm-hmm. something that happens all the fucking time. That's how most great discoveries in mathematics and science happen. Yeah, they happen by accident by those people who created those discoveries or found them stepping outside their box. Right, right? Einstein figured out nuclear uh, fission mm-hmm. while studying the fundamental theories of gravity, which mm-hmm. he wasn't even able to prove. We can't prove why gravity works today. We just know that it does. And in the course of trying to understand that, we Einstein stumbled onto nuclear reaction, yeah. <laughs> which he discovered is the fundamental force of the universe, but it's not. It doesn't explain gravity. <laughs> so, you know, you have these creative dialogues that occur in in our own brains, but without that creativity, you're just creating tools for execution. You're not creating innovation. You're not creating a mind. In a mathematician or an engineer who's going to look at the problems of tomorrow that we can solve today, mm-hmm. and he's not going to have any new solutions, or she is not going to have any new solutions because they're going to be taught not to embrace creativity. Basically, exactly. it's not that they're not they're told to ignore it; they're just not embracing it. And if and you I'm, don't embrace yeah, yeah. it, you're not inclined to jump into it. Right, right. As a, as somebody who's about logic and mm-hmm. ethos. Yeah. You're not inclined to take a spin on the wild side of the pathos mm-hmm. for all of our English majors out there or anybody who's taken a writing course, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about the logic and the authority mm-hmm. principles versus the emotional or pathological principles of the way of, of how people interpret the world. And if you're subject to ethos and logos, you're very unlikely to just take a spin 
on the pathos side of things and embrace a wild night out with friends and understand why you should pay attention to the nurse as a doctor, Mm -hmm. not just the patient or vice versa. Why you should actually listen to your patient instead of assuming that just because you're the doctor that you fundamentally understand what's best for them. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the thing about human creativity, which leads us to our adaptability again, is that that's how you embrace this thought experiment. Yeah, mm-hmm. It takes a, don't get me wrong, people, this is not the easiest thing to understand because it's so repetitive. It's mm-hmm. a very limited linguistic idea in terms of the number of words we have to use to explain it. But because of that, it kind of trips people up, mm-hmm. especially people who are all about logos and ethos. They're like, they get stuck in the repetition, yeah. like in a loop on playback, and they don't make the cognitive leap. Mm-hmm. It, to me is readily available but again we came up with this shit roughly in high school mm-hmm. and I've just been kind of working on it as I've studied philosophy and so the next point I want to make is that coming into this thought experiment in, in philosophy for the longest time there's been this concept that everything operates in a dichotomy which is weird right but although on some level it makes sense right most religions most major religions Function on some level like a trinity. Oh man, yeah. Right. No, I mean we had our we had our conversation about that. Right. So if you so. look at the Abrahamic religions, mm-hmm. let's focus on those for an example. Mm-hmm. They focus on a trinity. Mm-hmm. If you go back further to the original ancient Egyptians, you have Ra, who is uh, the sun father basically, mm-hmm. and then you have Horus and I believe it's Set. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you get the rest of them, like Anubis, and Toth, and so on. Anyways, even in ancient Egypt, it started with an original three, right? Um, if you go into Hinduism, everything's a cycle. But there's two main cycles, and the third component of the cycle is that the beginning and the end are brought in by the same person. And then there's a third, that middle point is washed over by somebody totally different. And so you still have a trinity, right? There's this concept of three in every religious philosophy. You can nail it down across most major religious philosophies. And yet, for some reason, philosophy, what we what we built the Western principles off of, has always functioned under this dualism. This legacy of Rene Descartes of the mind and the body, right? The electorate in Rome and the people. And I think it has to do everything with what I've talked told you all these years with I think a lot of issues have to be linked to each other mm-hmm. and I feel like but what you're saying is that everything we feel like works in a dichotomy and we leave out probably that third point of probably the trinity of how things work and operate is because that's intended to link to something else and everything's intended to link to each other right so mm-hmm. I don't know I, we can explain that on another podcast but, right. but yeah um but yeah, so when I was when I was flushing out this principle in my philosophy courses in undergrad and reading all these uh, in-depth philosophical arguments, whether it was on philosophy of creativity, philosophy of love, or art, or general logical philosophy, right? Um, in terms of how and why people function the way that they do, and why people can't like the morals and ethics of things. 
I still kept run. I kept running into this concept of this dualism. Like there's only one of two choices, and that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because if there were only one of two choices, it's live, it's survive or go extinct at a fundamental level. Yeah. But if you're gonna survive, you can't just survive. You survive by making a series of choices. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the levels humans are at. Well, you're a limited, you're a limited threat species, but you function as an apex predator across so many different ecological and socioeconomic uh, societies across the world that are so vastly different, and yet somehow humans persist. I came to this conclusion that it can't just be a dualism thing. It can't just be what Descartes thinks or what most other philosophers think, and it's not just about the mind body. It's that the mind and body coalesce to create a third uh, state of mind, right? Which is what, and this is a thing that's very commonly perceived in uh, physical performance, whether you're a, a marathon runner or mixed martial artist or a wrestler or football player or whatever. If you're an athlete, you have some experience with this. You reach this flow state. That's what most people call this state of mind where everything just flows so consecutively and without thought. It's just muscle. People call it muscle memorization or intuition. You move without thinking. You react and you catch the ball without even looking at it. You just know where it's going to be intuitively. And most coaches and most people who train in this will tell you that's just muscle memory. You just caught that ball at that angle so many times you know. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, scientifically speaking, that's impossible. I mean, to do something like that correctly, 100% of the time, you'd have to do it correctly 10,000 times, just off the bat. And as we, as we stated before in a previous podcast, the problem with learning is that for every time you do it right, you have to do it nine times correctly to convert it to long-term memory. To do it so efficiently to achieve 100% efficiency, you can't fuck it up once. But if you fuck it up once, you have to do it correct ten times to erase that one fuck up, right? And this creates the problem with the argument that, well, you've just done it a thousand times correctly. Maybe. Maybe you've done it a thousand times correctly, but that probably means you've done it about thirteen to 15,000 times incorrectly before you achieve perfection in that one aspect. So the concept that you just intuitively understand how to be or how to do something because you practiced it is flawed. It doesn't make sense. It's really that your senses are adding up and our cons I believe it's our ability to perceive and perceive our own demise or our future that enables us to weigh and value the percentages. Yeah. And then based on our experience we execute. And seven out of ten times we're probably right. For the upper, the higher percentage of us who are extreme physical athletes, it's probably close to 80 to 90 percent. And for like the two percent in the world that achieve, that do it all day, every day for 50 years of their life, including like teenagers, from from teenager 10 years or older until they're like 40 or 50. Yeah. That two percent of people that do that, it's about 90, 95 percent success rate. But that's not because they practice that much. It's because they're so used to conditioning their body to achieve a state of flow where it's not about 
analytical thinking. It's about intuitive knowledge and understanding that no matter what happens, if I'm here by X amount of time, I'm going to catch this ball if I run this route this way. It takes 40, 50 years of experience to get to that level. But there are hundreds, if not thousands, of instances of people achieving that level of perfection without putting in that work. How does that happen? Why does that happen? I submit that it's because the mind-body principle that we've built the Western philosophies on is missing a fundamental key factor, which is that when you take two things, like any other chemical reaction in, in biology and science, when you take two things and you put them together, they create a third thing that is uniquely whole onto itself and then creates a reciprocating loop, mm -hmm. right? And so these two things, this mind and this body, come together and they create this third thing, which I submit is how you get human consciousness. And our human consciousness is what enables our ability to perceive the future, predict it based on our past experiences, based on what our senses tell us. So you're just going to sit there and call a spirit a human consciousness? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is. And I think to say that, to, tell, uh -huh. to sit across it, I've had people get this far in the argument with me and they go, oh, so it's just the soul. And I'm like, you can't prove to me that a fucking soul exists. I can prove to you a consciousness exists. Mm -hmm. And you, and we can argue back and forth it's probably about not, It's people. probably not around and a thing for you to prove, though. Right, exactly. I'm like, we can sit back, sit here and argue back and forth with people about people who have or haven't died or people who have flatlined on a surgical table and come back and what they say that they've seen. We can argue that all day long. But it doesn't change the fact that their consciousness existed and they were able to continue to proceed. And when they come back, they have whatever they believe is a, is a higher knowledge. Okay, fine. But that doesn't explain the people who don't die and don't and who never die. If, well, they die once, right? But they go through most of their lives without dying and coming back, and they continue to operate with this level of efficiency. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I submit that it's the mind-body principle applied to human genetics creates the consciousness. And that consciousness creates a unique state of adaptability, that unique characteristic in humans as our consciousness and our ability to perceive our own deaths and plan for it and plan ways around it to beat it that allows us to function as an apex predator. It's allowed us to adapt and survive in every, almost every climate except for underwater. I mean, even in the North Pole, there are people who live above the Arctic Circle. They've lived there for hundreds of years mm -hmm. and they've survived and their diet is made up of things that should not enable them to persist but they do I submit that's what this is and in order to really grasp that concept we, I, we, I created this thought experiment that's really just based on simple math Okay. it's not super convoluted people so don't get bogged down in the repetition of it alright let's get it so um Fundamentally, I've come to understand that it's based on what's called clock math okay. or uh, block math, which is where... Well, people need a pen and paper for this. No, it's okay. real simple. I mean, you can look at your own clock on a wall, right? I mean, literally, go to your laptop, click on the time and date on your laptop, and it'll pull up your schedule, and typically there's a clock there, right? 
you know, have a 12-hour clock mind. Clock math says, based on our concept of time, mm-hmm. we run on a 12-hour schedule. The minute hand and the hour hand go around the clock. Pardon me. Ooh, all that water. Ooh. The minute hand and hour hand go around the clock in this succinct pattern that measures out one hour every 60 minutes. 60 minutes equals one hour, 12 hours equals half a day, yada, yada, yada. Simple mathematics, how we view every day. The principles of clock math say you can take that clock and cut it down. Say you only have one through nine on the clock. Right? So now we live on a nine-hour clock. But you still have units of measurement that go above 12, like we do today when we talk about how many hours in a day. You say 24, but you can count to 100. Mm-hmm. So how many days does it take? Excuse me. How many times around the clock does it take a day to go on a nine-hour clock instead of a 12-hour clock? Well, it takes three more hours or six more. To make a full day. because So you go 1 through 9. That's your first 9 hours. Then you go 1, 2, 3. Right? Because you're missing 10, 11, 12. You go 1 through 9. First 9 hours. Those other 3 hours that we took away. Once we're off the 12 clock. Now we're on the 9 clock. So then you go 1, 2, 3 again. So now. You're 12 hours around the clock. But you've done a lap and a quarter. Around the 9 hour clock. Mm-hmm. Do it again. So now you go four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, now you have six points left over. You have six hours left in your day. Now you go one, two, three, four, five, six. So if you start at one on your nine-hour clock and you go 24 hours, you end up at six. Right? This is clock math. This is basic math. It's not super complicated. You're taking out a quarter of the pie and you're moving... You're moving the pie around. The thought experiment for human, for attaining human perfection is, in and of itself, based in adaptability. In real-world applications, that's our ability to survive. In the thought experiment, it's your ability to continuously embrace adaptation and evolve your perception of where you stand in the thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Using the principle of clock math, you simply go... 1 plus 1 equals 2. That's how standard math works. Standard clock math says 1 plus 1 is 2. I've gone 2 hours around the clock. In order to attain adaptive perfection in this thought experiment, you have to understand that if you add 1 and 1 together to create 2, you've not gone 2 hours around the clock. You've in fact gone 3 hours around the clock. Mind and body, 1 plus 1, equals 2, which is the human consciousness, the human adaptability to survive, our ability to perceive ourselves, forecast our futures, and act on that perceived threat to our survivability, enables us to survive and change and adapt. 1 mind plus 1 body equals a secondary consciousness. That's three unique items. You've gone three hours around the clock. One plus one equals two, but it doesn't equal two. It equals three. You have two units of one, one unit of two. You have three units to create your existence. The caveat, and this is where most people follow this up to this point, no problem. 
And I'm like, okay, simple clock math, right? As I said earlier, people who are laced and logos and ethos typically follow up to this point. This next part is where the people who embrace pathos typically pick up. Normally, they can't wrap their head around the first part. They go, okay, I guess I get it. But they don't really understand what I'm saying. Here's where they pick up and the people lacing the pathos and logos fall off. If you've done that math, right, in the thought experiment, you go one plus one equals two, but it's actually three, you've achieved the higher level of conscious creation, you're inherently on four. If you can perceive what you have been and where you are, you are inherently one step further along in the evolutionary process. Right? So if you can look at the clock and go, here's one plus one, now I'm two hours around the clock, but really because I have three units, I've gone three hours around the clock. You're inherently looking back at what you've already done. And that's just the constant evolution of consciousness. Once it's, once it's created, it continuously goes on infinitely. So if you can perceive that 1 plus 1 equals 2, therefore is 3, you're not on 3 anymore because you're perceiving and understanding that. What you're, you're inherently on four and you just don't realize it yet because you don't perceive that you're, you don't perceive where you are. You perceive what came before you. And then you think of where you're going and how to get there. But most people don't understand that they're already on four by this point in the thought experiment. They go from one to one equals two. Okay. So I'm at three. No. One plus one equals two. Mind body equals consciousness. But once your consciousness is achieved, once you're already at three, you inherently graduate to four, basically. You level up, and you move forward consistently like this continuously on your journey as a human, as a conscious human, evolving, changing every day, every experience, every stoplight you pass through, every stone or penny you don't kick or pick up. You achieve a one step further in your consciousness than you were. Right? A lot of people have a problem with that. Here's an, another way to think about it. If the math is too annoying and repetitive to keep on following, think of yourself walking down a sidewalk. You take one step, you cover one time. You take a second step, you cover a second time. You take a third step and stop. You turn around and you go, I've gone two steps. That is inherently wrong. You've gone three steps, but you only see the two tiles that you know that you stepped on, that you perceive that you already passed, right? You take another step. Now you've gone four steps because you can see three sidewalk tiles behind you. This is the same principle. It's just laid out in a linear fashion. You took those first two steps in the mind-body and created your consciousness on the third tile. And yet you inherently don't perceive that you're on a third tile. You just go, I've gone two steps. You're stuck on that third step, looking back.
I'm totally with you, but I don't know if you're laying the foundation for time travel or like alternate <laughs> dimensions here. Well, so that I'm that's just, a that's much further along the experiment that mm-hmm. I get into speculation about that because there's a. I mean, because I understand what you're saying. There's a super crazy argument to be made that you can think your way into the fourth dimension. But that would also then admit that you're already a fifth dimensional being. So then let, let's say at the beginning That's of that. Huge let's say jump. at the beginning of that thought experiment, you're saying, yo, what are you talking about? Right. But then you, like, listen on and then you get it when you get to the second part. I mm-hmm. mean, does that kind of mean that, like. You were able to, be, to overcome the. And this is not this is not something I've conducted mm-hmm. a thorough examination on of humans, mm-hmm. because I'm still working on making sure that this thought, thought experiment is for, fundamentally mm-hmm. principled. Right, this is a new experiment that I'm really just working on. Again, I've had some success with it, and I've had some failures with it. And mm-hmm. again, I, I don't feel I've gone far enough to make a publication on it to then say, although I'm kind of putting it in a published platform mm-hmm. here. I'm not putting it into a scientific journal for peer review. I don't think... I don't know that I've thought out the principles enough to publish it. Maybe I have. But that's part of what I'm putting out here for is to give it a first round of live tests. Mm-hmm. If you guys can follow this, if you guys think you have it nailed down, let me know. Email me, Podcast at gmail. Hit us up in the comment section. Send us a direct message. Uh, we're on YouTube too. Send us a message. Let me know if you think that you have it nailed down, or if you think you have some insight. Please, I'm welcoming any insight into it because I'd really like to move forward on this because I think it's fundamentally would help people come to understand their position and put themselves in perspective in the world. And then once you understand your perspective, then you know how to take a step forward. If you can mm-hmm. see back down the sidewalk and you can see those two tiles behind you. And then you look down, and you're already on the fourth tile. You go, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Now I'm moving forward. Okay, so, yeah, let me see. Let me tell you what I see from this thought experiment. So, in the beginning, when you're explaining it, I'm like, what is he talking about? Right. But then I progress on to get the deeper meaning in the thought experiment. In the beginning, I'm seeing it, and I'm a, I'm a largely visual person. So when I picture anything that's being explained to me, I picture it visually. Mm-hmm. So it's very good. The numbers thing, I got it with the numbers thing. Right. But when you tuck it to the sidewalk, then for me, that was kind of right. lost. Right. And most uh-huh. people so most mm-hmm. people hit that, and they go, shit. Mm-hmm. They... they I literally left one dude sitting on a couch for eight hours. Mm-hmm. He couldn't wrap his head around it. Tripping like, on it, life. just <laughs> Like, it just blew his head off. Like, he was literally sat there for eight well, hours. Well, this is, this is my thing. I, f- I feel like what I was saying is, is this laying a foundation for time travel or alternate dimensions <laughs> or something? Right. Because this is kind of how I take it, which is, like, I feel like it's a good model for, like, I don't know, yeah, perfecting yourself as a person, I guess, because when I think about this applied to something, so I'm getting, I'm getting the, because philosophy is theoretics, right? But we try to take our philosophy and our theory and actually apply it to a real life concept. So what I immediately did is I tried to connect to something that I like applies, right? So like, let's just talk about like someone 
influential that can influence people, right? I feel like what I got from the thought experiment is like, once you go through life, you meditate, you feel like you got your mind and your body together, and you feel like you got that in one, and then you create this consciousness. Now this becomes a separate entity, but an entity within yourself that you're able to operate on. So not only are you able to operate on that union of things together, but you're also able to go back and reflect and review, which ultimately puts you at this new stage where like you not only are perfecting your mind and your body separately, but you're perfecting your consciousness, but exactly. you're doing it from a separate point of view. Exactly. So I feel like probably so that's a good on. model for how like we can say people who have achieved a higher level of thinking and understanding in life and who are influential kind of operate on, I feel like. Well, it's a huge caveat to make that jump because Mm -hmm. that would mean anybody who's successful in any society Mm -hmm. has a higher level of understanding, which doesn't have to be true. No, not at all. I'm not even talking. Because there are very little people. When I make that comment that I just made, there are very few people that I feel I like operate on that level. Right. Like one person that. that I feel like operates on that level, I don't know if you follow him, probably Russell Brand. If you follow his social media, he probably operates on that level. Joe Rogan probably operates on that level. Right. I mean, if you've probably had psychedelic drugs, you probably are semi-operating. Somewhere around that wheelhouse, right? <laughs> but uh, very few people do operate on that level, and I'm not talking about... And I think, okay, this is where we got in the first part where I'm I'm with you on is that I don't think success equals this higher level. Right? Okay, yeah. I don't need So when I'm when I'm saying that you have really like successful people that are operating on the higher level, that's a very out of the one percent that is successful quotation marks air quotes successful in this country i feel like there's a one percent of that one percent who actually probably operates on that level maybe smaller maybe even smaller i would say it's significantly in terms of people who are are quote-unquote ahead in this country Mm -hmm. that being the u.s anybody of our global listeners out there um to be ahead in this country does not necessarily mean you have to be enlightened or nope. have a, a solid grounding of where you stand in the grand scheme of the universe or the world or anything. You can just be a raging asshole and not give a shit about people and you can get ahead mm-hmm. fairly quickly, actually, in this country. Um, that being said, what we're talking about here is perfecting your condition. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not talking about making millions of money overnight. This is not a oh, no, quick no. Right, and a lot of I feel like a lot of people are gonna listen to this and be like, "Oh, this is like supposed to be the one rule you one, need okay. in order so to let me, perfection." Let which, me do something. Well, that's exactly. kind of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you achieving your perfect state of human perfection mm-hmm. is going to overnight make you a billionaire. So from this thought experiment, it will I can make probably, you successful as a human. Right, which all right. Is not the same as being a successful person. So I'm gonna choose something more practical. Working out. From this thought experiment, what I can probably do is I can probably say, okay, not only have you told myself, told yourself, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm I'm going to work out. You've told yourself that. That's Mm -hmm. the mind. Then you've gone to the gym 
and you've done the exercise so many times that your form is good and correct and that's your body. So one day, I mean, anybody who's ever worked out kind of feels this. One day you go to the gym and your will to work out and your will to push yourself and your body and your, like what you say is muscle memory and your, your like ability to do the workout the right way, the correct form, come together and you get this awesome workout. Right. So now you know. Yeah, instead of just maxing out after three sets. Right. Now, now you, you're pushing yourself, but it doesn't hurt. Now you right. know that your benchmarks have been met. Right. So you now that's. Mm -hmm. Now that's. Advanced. That's that coupling, right? Right. You've advanced to the fourth mm -hmm. square by, by de facto because you stopped mm -hmm. on the third square, right? Presumably. And you look back and you go one plus one equals three. Mm -hmm. But if you can say that one plus one equals three, what you're inherently doing is perceiving that you're past the third tile, which means you're standing on the fourth tile on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. You're just not counting it as three tiles. You're saying, oh, that's what a good workout feels like, I feel like. Right. You're going, I've taken two steps, mm -hmm. and I'm on the third tile, right? But you turn around, and you go one plus one equals two, so I've gone three units. You've gone three tiles. You're actually on the fourth tile. Because you can perceive that you've achieved the consciousness in the thought experiment, you're mm -hmm. inherently on the fourth step or the fourth level, right? You're on the fourth tile because you can perceive the third one, which means you're beyond that step, right? You can't perceive where you are. You can understand it, yeah. and you can, you can know that you're there, but you can't perceive it as having occurred. Unless you're looking at it in the past. It can't be in the past tense in your mind's perception unless you're past it. That's how human consciousness works. You can't go, well, I was on the third square and still be standing on the third square. Yeah. Then your mind would go, I'm on the third square and I was on square one and two. But if your brain is going one plus one equals two, therefore it's three, you're on the fourth square on the sidewalk. Yeah. You're just, you haven't fully understood what your perception is giving you. And that's part of evolution. That's how you keep moving forward. When you understand that one plus one equals two, which is a sum of three, right, in the human consciousness, mm -hmm. once you understand your consciousness has occurred, you're inevitably escalating forward. Mm -hmm. And you may slow down, you may speed up. And that, a lot of that's dependent upon you as a human and how much you push yourself to adapt right. and change. How much you consume, the knowledge you consume, what you're consuming, what you're putting into your head in your daily life. How much you push yourself to keep moving forward, keep striving for more, keep pushing yourself to get outside your box, whatever. But once you achieve those first two steps and you can perceive your consciousness as having occurred, you're already on the journey. You're on the fourth step. You're on the path to human the humanity's reflection of perfection in this world. Mm -hmm. And that's the easy part, right? I hate to be cliche, but the easy part is getting started. It's the hardest part to understand it. But mm -hmm. once that occurs, that's the hard, the hard part's done. Then you start the grind, which some people will say is harder than others, but you can't keep going the grind unless you understand the first three steps. Mm -hmm. Mind and body create the human consciousness. First tile plus second tile in any order. I'm not saying the mind or the body comes first. 
mind-body coalesce to create the third tile. You're three units down the sidewalk. If you can perceive that, you're already on the fourth step. You've automatically taken, in the, in the landscape of your mind, right, you've turned around, you're looking at the first two tiles, and then you go, oh, I've actually gone three steps, because you recognize that you're conscious. You've st literally taken the fourth step. You've just stepped backwards onto the fourth tile, mm -hmm. and you're on your journey. Once you've got your head wrapped around that concept and understand that that in and of itself is what makes humans adaptable, the ability to look back, see what's occurred, and then turn around, look forward, and go, that's how I'm going to get to the next one, and that's how I'm going to get to the next one. And you, you can keep moving forward exponentially that way. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can, here's where we get super crazy. <laughs> this is something I'm not going to be able to prove in my lifetime. But if you could keep doing that, mathematically speaking, if your brain could keep growing at an exponential rate, you could have a large enough consciousness that you could convert it into pure energy and therefore bypass the third dimensional energy restrictions that we live in and become a fourth dimensional being. All right, we're going to take a break. <laughs> That's where it gets super crazy, you guys. You just broke my brain. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> for anybody who's listening this far, you've really broken their brain. <laughs> and by saying that, that was just, they're not even going to listen after this. They're like, we're going to break. Yeah, I'm done. I'm, well, don't worry. Um, if you're still here after the break, <laughs> I'll explain why this is where I have to bow out and defer. Okay. This is where I got to check my ego. There we go. So let's, let's take this break. We'll be right back. Are you sick and tired of ads? Well, this is an ad to tell you that you don't have to listen to ads. Stitcher Premium has some of your favorite shows ad-free, like Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Science Rules, and Dr. Death. It also includes early access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Go to stitcherpremium.com and upgrade your account for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Plus, sign up today through our website and get your first month on us. It's 2019. Ads are optional. I don't know if you heard it right, but if you enter the code ASPACE Podcast when you upgrade your Stitcher account to premium, you will get your first month of Stitcher Premium for free. And we provided that especially for our listeners and our friends of this podcast. Um, during this break, we just want to remind you that if you want to donate, you can do so by donating via Cash App at Money Sign A Space Podcast. Um, any questions about this mind bending discussion that we're having today? You can always email us at aspacepodcast at gmail.com. Interact with us on social media at aspacepodcast on Instagram and Twitter. And you can catch us on podcast services around the globe. Now, we're going to get back into this. Here's the villains that stack up to the big daddy. You can't just roll a movie out called Joker and then not have the Batman context there. That's a waste. Now, now the next movie they call Joker that goes into the Joker's origins versus Batman, people are going to be like, 
great. It's going to be another public statement on mental health. I'm not going to go see it. I don't care if Batman's in it. I don't think so, man. I don't know. We'll see. We will. And now we're back. Are we back now? We're back now. What's up, people? How you doing? Gambler here. With my boy numbers. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, follow. Do all of that. Do all of that. Because it of seriously that. helps. Especially coming into the holidays when you got to sit around and deal with your family for extended periods of time. We all understand how family rubs us wrong after an extended period of exposure, okay? It's like radiation poisoning. <laughs> it just makes you want to kill yourself. So, instead of killing yourself, make them tune into the podcast. Maybe it'll help broaden their horizons. Give you some, give you guys something to talk about rather than each other's flaws. And who said something about Joker? It's dead to kill. Oh, my goodness. I'm just saying. All right, so let's get to the second part of this. Okay. Uh, so the next off. part of this. So I left off with like this huge like cliffhanger, clickbaity statement. If at some point, right, if your if your consciousness could constantly continue to expand and grow, could you should in theory be able to think your way into a higher level of existence. And what I mean by that is the human body, like anything else on this planet in this universe, is made up of electrical impulses. Our atoms vibrate at a specific harmonic frequency. Those vibrations create heat. That heat creates electricity. And then our neurons can fire up and you have this electrical impulse in your body that communicates throughout your body. In theory, if you wanted to think your way to a higher existence, just to put this in context for people who are like, what the fuck is he talking about? This has already been theorized. This is not my original theory. This part of it, anyways. People have already suggested that this, that you could somehow achieve a higher level of consciousness or graduate to a higher plane of existence if you could convert yourself to that higher level. However, mathematically, in order to do this, you would have to take all of the known matter and I believe all of the known antimatter, like we don't, we can't contain antimatter, but we know it exists. It's one of those chicken and egg things. You'd have to take all the matter in this, in this three-dimensional three universe, right, and convert it into pure energy. And then still, you need like one more ounce of energy to break the three to four dimension barrier. So your brain, your consciousness, would have to contain as much energy within your own consciousness as the entirety of the third plane of existence that you currently exist in, which seems almost like an impossibility, because if you exist in the third dimension already, as your consciousness continues to expand and grow, so too would your third dimension. Therefore, you wouldn't ever be able to encapsulate all of the energy in the third dimension. Unless... You're a human alive with the ever-expanding consciousness at the end of the universe when its rubber band effect occurs and it starts to collapse in on itself. Then, in theory, you could be, but you'd still have to have an ever-expanding consciousness, which is nigh impossible for the human biome to achieve at our current state. At this point, our brains act as like 
Super old Macintoshes where we just kind of save over information as we continue to learn it, unless we specifically commit it to a memorization pattern for memory recall. Like a memory palace or a, uh, like when you use flashcards to memorize grammar or uh, verbs and definitions, right? You have that memory recall, but if you start learning another I'm language, you'll need a bunch of flashcards for everything you just said for the past <laughs> five minutes, okay? <laughs> need a lot of flashcards. Okay, so, again, like I said at the end of the, or coming into the break, this is where I have to defer. This is mm-hmm. vastly outside my realm of expertise because I'm not an Okay, I'm glad we on the same yeah, page. I'm not, I'm, I'm out, it's out. No, no, no. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. The listeners out there who are like, what fucking shit is he smoking? No. This is thing, this is all, uh, this extrapolation <laughs> is just Theories posited by other physicists and scientists throughout history that have been studied and reviewed and peer-reviewed, and people are like, well, we can't solve this problem yet. Or, we've tried to solve this problem mathematically with theoretical physics, and this is the answer we come up with, is that it would take too much energy to do so, and so, therefore, it's impossible because we already exist as a third-dimensional thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if we're bigger than the third dimension, which is what you would ha- you'd have to be as big as the third dimension to encapsulate all of that energy and mass, right? Mm-hmm. So it's impossible for one body to be that big, right? You could argue that a con- an ethereal consciousness could be that big, but it would still have to be contained in a bioorganic or semi-organic composite. To, make, mm-hmm. to actually convert the energy, right? You have to convert it, all that mass at some point. So, basically, physicists have determined who are far more smarter than me, and if you know all the equations, you can do the math. You can go to PBS FaceTime, shout out. It's a great fundament, channel for fundamentals and uh, breaking down and understanding particle physics, theoretical physics, quantum mechanics, general relativity, and that dichotomy and how that interacts and uh, relativity. Um, also, shout out Neil Garth Tyson because he's really well versed in this shit. Also, a really good person to go listen to to flesh out this concept on his uh, Star Talk mm. um, or Cosmic Queries. Anyways, those guys would have the more nitty gritty. This is the physics equation you would use to calculate all this, and these are all the moving equation and parts to convert all the energy. Uh, what I, from what I understand in reading of scientific papers and publications, it's basically that in theory, if your consciousness could ever be contained in a, in a semi-organic capacity that could encapsulate enough energy to do so, you'd already, you'd be so large and vast in a third dimensional existence, you wouldn't need to become a fourth dimensional being to escape your reality because you'd be able to create whatever reality you wanted on a third dimensional plane. So you basically be like a third dimensional god instead of a fourth dimensional god. That's a god with a capital G. God. <laughs> I'm just saying, sometimes my mm-hmm. consonants get swallowed up by this mic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyways, if you ever achieved enough energy to turn yourself into a fourth dimensional being, you'd have all the energy you could ever need to do whatever the fuck you wanted in the third dimension, so there'd be no point in becoming a fourth dimensional being aside from satisfying your curiosity as to what a fourth dimension looks like. Mm. And technically, according to mathematics, it's really just like a portal to the fifth dimension. 
which is a whole other thing about thinking in multiple dimensions, which gets really, really squirrely. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm not even going to attempt to explain because I don't have a solid enough grasp on the first eight dimensions to explain that. So, um, anyways, that's just what the clickbaity thing is about. In theory, if you could turn the thought experiment we were talking about into reality, that's what it would eventually grow to. But the thought experiment is just that. It's a thought experiment, the limited application to understand your existential place so that you, as a listener, as a human being, can figure out how to get on your path to becoming your perfect reflection of human perfection. And hopefully... That alliteration of bang. I try. I mean, I, I really fiddled around with it to try and make it work. So I wanted it to stick in people's heads. Mm-hmm. I'm still fooling around with the title of the paper, and I'm still writing the paper. But in theory, that's how a lot of it would work. Um, mm-hmm. As like a, as a thought experiment. Just get yourself started on those first three, four blocks. Yeah. And then just grow. Grow from there. Don't be like, okay, I've achieved this. And quit. Because you're just hopping off. You're just hopping off. That's not good. Or you're just sitting in one place for the rest of your life, and that's shit. Mm-hmm. That's the exact opposite of what you want to do. The whole point of being on the path to your human, per- your per- perception of human of human perfection is that you constantly adapt and evolve. Evolve. God, I'm tired. You constantly adapt, adapt to and survive. survive. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> Jesus. Fuck me, Christ. I need more coffee. Um. Anyways, that's what the point is. It's not to just figure it out and then just not do shit about it. Right. The point is to achieve it, execute it every day of your life. Keep it going. Keep adapting to survive because that's what humans do. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, if you have no other reason to get up in the morning, if you have no other reason that you feel is good enough in your life, although I'm sure you do have good enough reasons to get up and try. If you come across a day where you just don't feel like getting up, do it anyways, because that's what humans fucking do. We get the fuck up. And we get the fuck on. A lot of David Goggins vibes there, you know. (laughs) I actually referenced his biography to a, a client of mine. Her son's starting to get into sports and things, and I was like, you gotta give him this book. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if he, just give him the audiobook or whatever, this book will get him through that shit. Yeah, I gotta, I've only seen David Goggins speak, I gotta read some of his stuff, but. You gotta watch his YouTube you only videos, need him to his see, workout you know, videos, yeah. his Instagram. You only need to hear oh. him speak. Bro, go watch his, like. Hyper workouts where like 30 minutes in he finally hits mm-hmm. his flow state and mm-hmm. it's like he's back in like marine butts He's like in hell week in the marines all over again. Yeah, he's eat, he's like maxed out five different times And he's like ain't nobody gonna kill me. Who's the best? Who's gonna get this shit? That's right. Goggins is gonna get it. I'm like <laughs> Dude just has like an entire separation of himself yeah. from his body it's so funny to watch, and you're like, I have no fucking excuse not to go to the gym. Like, you have no excuse not to get up and do fucking 50 push-ups in your fucking apartment. Right. None whatsoever. He's out there at the gym at 
every day, all day, every day. He's running. Right. You can't do 50 push-ups, bitch. I feel like David Goggins runs all day. Just all day. He does, dude. Dude, he runs a fucking marathon in the morning as a warm-up. <laughs> Dude's a fucking monster. He runs in like 20 minutes. Yeah. It's disgusting. He's like, Pshaw. like my shins don't even hurt yet. <laughs> he's insane. And yeah. then he's like, okay, now today I'm going to try and break my pull-up record. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. He knows he's not going to. He's just like, I'm just going to do like 700. That's cool. There you go. Get the fuck out of here. I ain't got time for that. Meanwhile, I'm struggling to do one. Mm. I'm struggling just to like, do push-ups, although I'm down five pounds again. There you go. Weighed myself the other day. I was only 180. I was like, bruh, I got this. So I do this intermittent fasting thing like we were talking about before. Yeah. And I've been holding a lot more to it recently. My body's just, I eat a lot of high protein content to keep my metabolism going. And so <laughs> then I, because I'm only eating high protein and fiber and fibrous veggies, my body's able to just chew on all the extra carbs I have. And so it's just cutting weight. I mean, it's basically like trying to cut weight to make weight in a fight. Mm-hmm. I'm eating protein and veggies instead of starving myself. Right. Um, which is a little, it's sort of a little taxing on your liver because what's happening, it doesn't really damage your liver. It just makes your liver have to use different uh, enzymes than it typically would um, to break stuff down because it's recycling stuff that it's already recycled, basically. Right. It, it, your liver basically, terrible way to explain it, but with basically, from what I understand, your liver, whatever energy you don't use, your liver recycles it, converts it into fat stores for mm-hmm. later energy. But then it takes way more energy to use that, to access that fat store later than it does if it's fresh protein or fresh energy coming through, right? Right. And so basically, by intermittent fasting and eating a high protein and fibrous diet, and I'm only eating once or twice a day, maybe. Um, my body is then recycling the carbs that I haven't used uh, in my fat stores and siphoning those off to sustain itself. Mm -hmm. And it's easier for my body to do that because I'm eating a high protein and keeping my metabolism going. And I'm not eating a whole lot of red meat because that's, that, that's incredibly, that takes a lot more energy to break down than like chicken or fish. Um, and I'm noticing it's just taking my gut just a lot to yeah, process it. Yeah, it's, it's really hard on your enzymes, and it's so, and especially if it's like because a lot of the red meat we eat is farm raised instead mm-hmm. of wild, instead of wild game, which yeah. is real lean and mean, and it, the stuff we eat is just it, a, it's not as nutritious because well, it's I like think, blown up basically right. from uh, a, a specific factory diet. Well, I think lately ground beef is making me sick too, man. Mm-hmm. That's possible. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, red meat's so hard to like properly store and shit. Like, half, unless you're getting like a ground beef hog that's immediately sealed and shit. Yeah. I mean, there's no telling how whether or not that cut of meat that you cut that you cook up, how whether or not it's been exposed or sealed properly and then resealed or. In, sealed improperly and then resealed properly when it got to your local grocery store. Yeah. You just never know. Um, especially if they do a lot of local butchering, like most like food lines or Harris Heater does, that they have the butcher on site yeah. for like eight hours a day cutting up maybe half a hog that comes in or whatever. Um, 
you know, there's no telling how long that hog's been sitting out and aging. The long hog. It only takes one hour. <laughs> right. It only takes an hour for it to start regenerating the salmonella and shit. Well, it's coming up to room temp as the butcher's working on it. Yeah. And the last egg he cuts is always the first egg on the shelf. So. The first one he cuts is always in the back of the shelf, which is why people always grab from the back of the shelf. Mm. And if you don't, grab from the back of the motherfucking shelf. Is that where good meat is? It's just where the safer meat is. I mean, it's all going to have the relatively same lackluster uh, nutrition base compared to wild game meat, but right. if you can't get wild game meat, do, do what you got to do. But um, certainly red meat is harder and takes more energy to process. So if you're looking to cut, stay away from red meat. If you're looking to lose, try and avoid red meat if you can. Get a, if you need a high concentration protein, eat eggs. Yeah, but it has a lot of uh, it has a lot of cholesterol in it, right? It can, but you can just eat the yolks, or you can just eat the whites. Um, the other thing you can do is you can eat more fish and more chicken. If you don't want to eat a lot of eggs, if you have uh, other cholesterol issues, um, or you have a history of a heart disease or high cholesterol or high blood pressure, okay, maybe eggs aren't the best thing for you. Maybe eat more chicken, more. More of other birds. I mean, you can get quail, um, turkey. Turkey's a really good one, really lean meat. Mm-hmm. And, it serves, and it still has a lot of the same protein properties and enzymes as um, red meat. <clears throat> Fuck, this many ink is like stinging. But um, yeah, so that's what I would recommend. And then, of course, intermittent fasting is always good for cutting. Because, it is. And again, with all this meat that I'm talking about, you got to have your high-fiber vegetables if you can afford it. Some people have specific dietary restrictions that can't afford it. But if you mm-hmm. can afford it, you want high-fiber stuff like cauliflower, broccoli, bell peppers, onions, uh, legumes like bok choy or celery. I understand celery is not great unless it's like in a soup or something, but <laughs> bok choy is a really good alternative. It's pretty popular. Or um, Chinese lettuce is another really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just different options. They cook up different ways, you know. So don't just give up. Burn. Keep looking. Find a way. And if that means you take an extra thirty minutes on your grocery trip, and do so because it's gonna save you so much. And down the road, you'll feel better for it. I feel like the only way I can get good bok choy is to go to a restaurant, Chinese restaurant, because mm. I don't know how to cook that. I cook mine in a red wine, not red wine, um, balsamic vinaigrette, typically. I wash mm-hmm. it and scrub it, Yeah. cut the bottom of the stock off, pull the leaves off. It's kind of annoying to wash them all individually, but you really got to do it because it, because the way it grows, it catches all the particulates and the sand and the dirt in the bottom of it. So mm-hmm. even when you cut the root off, it, it's still all stuck down at the bottom of the stem. So you got to really wash it and kind of try and scrub it off. Um, and then I cook it in um, balsamic vinaigrette. I steam it, mm-hmm. put a little bit of water, oil in the pan, throw it, throw the bok choy in after it's chopped up, put the big leaves on top to act as like another layer of steamer, and then I douse it in uh, balsamic vinaigrette, and then I add water as needed to keep steaming it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Another way to do it would just be to use a steamer basket, but if I typically chop mine up though, so I don't have to do that. Right. Fuck that shit hurts. Oh shit. This tattoo is gonna hurt. I know, motherfucker. It's just like that one spot's like super raw. Oof. I think I'm just gonna switch to Aquaphor. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's thicker. It's thicker. It lasts a little longer. I think right now it's just so fresh. The Lubriderm just kind of burns a little. Right. I bled a lot on this one. Had one too many beers before I got started on it. It's a bad idea when you only get a tattoo. Well, like I said, I was having a very long conversation today (laughs) with certain some people who shall not be named here because we don't have their endorsement. Right. Um, so, you know, once that comes, if that endorsement ever comes through, then we can talk about that. But, uh, yeah, that, mm-hmm. I needed a beer after that conversation, so. So, tonight, have we finished up our conversation? I think we, I think right now we, it's definitely a good tie-up for part two of the Perfection series. Um mm-hmm. If we do a part three, or if you guys, if listeners want us to do a part three, let us know. But if we do do a part three, which we could do, we could get down into like the nitty gritty stuff like we were on day one. Okay. In terms of how that, how you apply that, that principle of adaptation to your everyday life. Like, what does that actually look like? How is that possible? What are the sacrifices that comes along with that? What is the cost? How does that fit into society? How does society deem that adapt? How did, how is that kind of person viewed by society? Mm-hmm. We could get into all of that, you know, and then that that could take us into like political philosophy, Machiavellian politics, pragmatism, all of that good stuff. Um, so if we we could do another one on that and get into the nitty gritty of it, okay. Or we could just table it for now, and then once we cover a few other topics, come back and. Once we cover those topics, take the thought experiment we laid out here and try to apply it to, to those topics. Either way works for me. Yeah, man, we can do we can do whatever we want to do. How's that? Was that good? It's like yeah, I'm freaking tired right now. That's all I'm saying. It's okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, listeners out there, let us know. Obviously, we want to create, we want to put out stuff that you want to hear about. So, let us know what's going on, what topics you'd like to hear us address or hear argued about or sussed out. If you think there's something out there that needs a fair breakdown or shakedown that you don't think is getting enough attention, Mm -hmm. drop it down in an email, send it to us, tweet at us at A Space Podcast on Twitter. This up on the gram. Did I say that right? I'll just on, the gram. on the gram. <laughs> Hit us up on the gram. On the gram. Um, emails at aspacepodcastgmail. Mm-hmm. Aspacepodcast at gmail.com. Um, and again, don't forget about the Aspace promo code for Stitcher. There you go. Aspace at checkout to get that one free month of Stitcher Premium. And on us. On us, man. And uh, don't forget to share it and bug your families with us at the holidays. Bug the crap out of them. Yeah, bug the shit out of them. They talk shit, just start playing us in the background. (laughs) Alright, man. We're out. Alright, guys. We'll talk to you later. We'll see you later. Peace. Peace.